What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for for complete terms. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and our other co-host, Joe, is not here today. But hey, Jonathan. Hey, Lauren. I, I didn't I didn't prepare anything to say yeah, after that. It's, it's, it, we're, we usually turn to Joe for this. Yeah. Joe is keeper of two things, the introduction and the axe. The mystical axe. The mystical axe. And so neither of those are here. But honestly, this should be pretty much a walk in the park because we're going to give sort of a, a focused update to something we talked about in a previous episode way back in April 2013, which is so long ago... I didn't open the show with lyrics back then. What? I know. It we seems had like those days? I, 
I sometimes wish that we could go back to them, but I feel like now I've committed. And if I don't open the show with a lyric. Oh, I like the lyrics. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun when I remember it before we hit record and then I think, oh no. I need to come up with a lyric that is somehow tangentially related to our topic. But yes, back then we recorded a show called Brother, Can You Spare a 01100100, which was an episode specifically about digital currency. And we talked a lot about a particular digital currency called Bitcoin, which I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. It's kind of the big one. Yeah, that would be the one that I think most people have heard about. There are other digital currencies out there, by the way. Often people refer to Bitcoin as the one that started it all. Guess what? It didn't. There were other ones before it, but it is definitely the one that got the most attention, including, I think in no small part, but due to the mysterious nature of the inventor of Bitcoin. We'll touch on that a little bit in this episode. Uh, Yeah, but let's give a quick overview of what Bitcoin is and how it works. Okay, so it's a cryptocurrency, so-called because the currency depends partly on uh, cryptography in the way that transactions are recorded and the way that the currency itself is built. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Not because it's used by Bigfoot. No, it is not a cryptid currency. Although, who knows? I mean, Bigfoot could use it. It actually would make a lot of sense because, <laughs> you know, you don't trace it back. Right. But uh, so, I mean, if you want if you need to buy a pair of size 28 shoes, it would be an excellent way of doing it. Uh, but it exists independently of any national government backing it. So it is a completely independent currency in that respect. So unlike dollars or pound sterling or yen or the euro, there's no official state behind the money, which is considered to be a, a, a pro in the folks who really support Bitcoin. Uh, sure. Although, like the way real money, real money, uh, like the way traditional currency systems are supposed to work, mm-hmm. it's based on a limited number of of Bitcoins. Right. And, and generally speaking, when we talk about currencies, you know, you can't solve a financial crisis just by printing more currency. In fact, that makes it worse. Yeah, it devalues the currency that's already out there. The way that you generally make more wealth is that is you do it through something like loans where you have uh, interest on those loans that quote unquote creates more wealth. Thus, you need more currency. It's complicated. We won't get into it. But at any rate, uh, the way Bitcoin does this is it just establishes the fact that there is this thing. There is a limited number of this thing. And at any given time, there's a smaller amount of that available in circulation because it's treating it almost like it would be a precious mineral. You, you don't have access to all of it all at once. Rather, you have to go through a process to get more of the existing Bitcoins that are not yet in circulation so that they can then enter circulation. The the total number of Bitcoins that will ever exist, assuming that this system actually works out the way it was intended. And doesn't totally crash the way that it might. Yep. Uh, it would be 21 million Bitcoins. That's it. There, Once you get to that, that last Bitcoin, then you're done. There are no more Bitcoins to be mined. And the ones that exist are the only ones that will ever be used in circulation. Uh, now, this is g- done through a process that's called mining, which involves using computer processing power to perform certain transactions. And sometimes when your computer completes such a transaction, it finds a Bitcoin or more likely 
part of a Bitcoin. They can be divided up uh, all the way down to a unit that's 10 to the minus eight Bitcoins. Yeah. I, yeah. You you wouldn't really find a whole Bitcoin or, or mine a whole Bitcoin. Right. That is not a thing that happens. No, it'd be like kind of uh, panning for gold. You're going to find flakes of gold, not a bar of gold. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, and it's it's a really interesting, elegant, in a convoluted way, system because you you get a chance at earning a piece of a Bitcoin by helping run the software that that the company uses, that the Bitcoin, the organization uses to process and confirm its transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also interesting because Bitcoins can't be counterfeited. Each time they're traded, a block of code is added to the transaction chain describing it, and that chain is public. So you can't just just duplicate use in Bitcoins. That's right. not how it does. And that's that's meant to not just for, for counterfeiting purposes, but like you said, duplicating purposes, which I guess mm-hmm. is a kind of counterfeiting. You, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to spend a, a Bitcoin and then spend that uh, same Bitcoin a second time immediately thereafter mm-hmm. because the transaction is – uh, part of this entire chain of information that dates all the way back to when the Bitcoin was first mined. Sure. And, and it's a matter of public record. Yeah. So here's another thing we got to we got to mention. Currencies depend upon people accepting them as a form of payment, uh, whether it's backed by a, a country or it's independent. It doesn't matter if people don't see that your currency has value. Uh, right. Money is essentially imaginary and therefore terrifying. Yeah. It, it actually is completely based upon all of us agreeing that this thing represents value of some sort, that it represents the value of a product or a service. So if you were to ask me to come over and paint your house and offer me here, I, I've printed up these sheets of paper that have uh, bongo bucks on them and they don't relate to anything else, I would say I need to go do something else. Because With my time because the bongo bucks don't mean anything to anyone else. Yeah, I can't go and take those bongo bucks and spend them to get delicious ice cream, which fuels my ability to paint your house. Right. Now, maybe if I had offered you delicious ice cream to begin with. Yeah, then it's more of a bartering system. And I'm, you probably wouldn't respend the ice cream. So yeah, that's a barter. Yeah, it's a, it's a bartering system. But, not a currency. But totes legitimate, by the way. <laughs> I will I will paint your house if there is the proper amount and flavor of ice cream involved. Offers will be entertained at the end of the show. So uh, at any rate, yeah, we have to have this situation where the people spending and the people accepting all agree that this currency has value, that that value is something that both parties agree to, uh, that it represents a certain amount of buying power. And Bitcoins have had a pretty crazy roller coaster ride of an existence from the time when they first came out in 2008 to present day. Uh, right, because the amount of value is not holding steady the way that most currency does. Yeah, currencies can fluctuate in value, but not not to wildly dramatic extent unless Usually. there's a serious financial crisis oh, going on. Right, right. But Bitcoins are fluctuating all the time. Yeah, to the point where, you know, at their peak, they were almost $1,200 for a Bitcoin. And uh, right now they're uh, somewhere – they're lower than – they're between 200 and $250 depending mm-hmm. upon exactly when you check. So yeah. definitely some some crazy variation in value there. Although it's really not a small system, like this might seem really fringe, especially if you don't participate in the mining of bitcoins and if you don't have a bitcoin wallet. But the the, the system is currently worth some like three point three billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So 
Getting into the problems of Bitcoins, we're going to talk about does Bitcoin actually have a future? That's the real question we want to answer today as best we can. And part of that it means that we have to acknowledge the the challenges that Bitcoin faces, the problems and, and difficulties it has as a currency. And we already mentioned one, the volatility, the, the variability of its value from that $1,200 to 230 some odd bucks this morning when I checked it. Yeah, that's a big that's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you found out that your money was no longer nearly as valuable as it once was, that you would not be able to buy the same amount of stuff Mm -hmm. today as you could back in early 2014, you'd probably be a little more than a little upset. Uh, And keep in mind that this also means that a lot of people have trouble figuring out when they can spend that money. All right. Um, Because, you know, if you're if your dollar, let's say let's let's take dollars as an example. Sure. So let's say I've got a crisp $1 bill and today that $1 bill, and I'm just making up examples, but today that $1 bill could buy me a small cup of coffee. Okay. I've found a discount coffee place somewhere and that $1 bill will buy me a small cup of coffee. And I, it's just I, a very small cup of yes, coffee. Yes. Yeah. It's an espresso cup of yes. coffee. And exactly. It's not espresso. It's still just regular <laughs> old coffee. So I spend that dollar and I get my little espresso cup of coffee. I go back to the coffee shop the next day, but because the value of the dollar has changed, the coffee is the same. The size of the cup is the same. Mm-hmm. But because the value of the dollar is changed, it now requires me, me to spend two of my crisp $1 bills to get that small cup of coffee. And, and although this might feel like what's going on when you go to Starbucks, yeah, it's it's really not that dramatic, right? It's not it's not that the coffee place has dramatically increased their price. It's that the dollar has dramatically reduced in value. But mm-hmm. let's say the next day, because this is going to be illustrating the craziness of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. The next day I come in and I find out that my crisp one dollar bill, which yesterday I needed two of to buy a small cup of coffee. Now my crisp one dollar bill will get me that Trenty size, the ridiculous like <laughs> Like hot tub sized cup Human of coffee. Skull sized. Yeah, I, I, I have to have a dolly to move the cup of coffee out. That's kind of the, 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 what Bitcoin's been through. And that makes it very difficult to figure out when you can spend a Bitcoin. Because if I, if I, if I price things in Bitcoin, even in fractions of a Bitcoin, I will constantly be scared that the price will not reflect the value of the product, either as a a merchant or as a buyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's difficult for both sides of the equation because one person or the other is at or I mean, both people really are continually going to be unsure whether they're being cheated. Right. And even if they're not being cheated, they may just feel like or, they, or being cheated by the system. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like, like they had the worst timing. Yeah. Like they, they either spent way too much or they sold for way too little. Mm-hmm. And that the same, the same thing sold by at the same quote unquote price each day could end up giving you cr- crazy different values of actual dollar money or, yeah. or whatever, you know. And I hate saying actual because of course Bitcoin is it's supposed to be money. an actual money. Yeah. Yeah. You can use it to buy stuff. It's a money. It's um, just that I think of it more in terms of of a of a, you know, a tradable uh, entity rather than as a currency simply because of this volatility. Oh, problem. yeah. It works so much more like a like a stock market, for yeah. example, than it does like other currencies, currencies that we see out there. And and as it turns out, even the the very top people involved in Bitcoin are, are not. 
not entirely sure how much how much Bitcoin you should Bitcoin. Right, exactly. Yeah, we'll get into more of that too. So uh, in my notes, I gave an example. The coffee makes a perfect example, but in my notes, I mentioned that because one Bitcoin is around $230, let's mm-hmm. say I'm selling a a a current generation gently used video game console. Cool. And those are around 400 bucks or so, depending mm-hmm. upon which ones you're looking at. But I, it's gently used, so I want to sell it for about 230 bucks or one Bitcoin. Now, it may be that when I sell it for one Bitcoin, it turns out that the Bitcoin is actually worth $220, so I'm underselling a little bit. Or it may turn out that the Bitcoin at that moment is worth $260, so I actually got more value out of it than I thought I would. But that could all change if I don't cash out the Bitcoin and then the value of Bitcoins dramatically plummets or escalates. Yeah, yeah. It it could wind up being that you sold that console for either, you know, 50 cents or for a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks. Yeah. yeah. It hasn't dropped as low as 50 cents. <laughs> no, it hasn't had that bad of a day yet. No. All right. So one way to get around that. If you are in the Bitcoin like market biz is to offer up your various goods or services at a dollar or other, you know, less volatile currency price tag. And then when it comes to the actual moment of purchase, agree with the, the person who wants to buy something, what that is, is in Bitcoin at that moment. Uh, right, right. Although really this, this is, just making the problem a little bit more complicated. It's yeah. not actually solving it. Right. Uh, it, it, furthermore, the the lack of that transcription of of dollars to whatever is part of what attracts people to using Bitcoin in the first place. Right. It, really, I think the only thing it does is create a little bit of a psychological cushion right. for the person buying it. But even right. then, it doesn't change the fact that the Bitcoin value itself will change. Yeah. It's the same problem exists. Mm-hmm. It's just you might be able to go away thinking, oh, I spent 25 bucks on that, not I spent .0004 Bitcoins on that, and now I, I'm out a, a significant amount of money because of the value of Bitcoin changing. Yeah. Um, uh, so do we know why this this volatility exists? Yeah, it's because people don't want to spend them. <laughs> so one of the one of the big points of currency, one of the really important things is that in order for a currency to work, people have to be willing to spend the currency. Uh, right. If it's all buried in their boxes in their backyard, yeah. then it's not really doing anyone good. It, it's, it's not a system at that point. It's a box in a backyard. Yeah, you're looking at like a commodity, not a right. currency. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, right? So uh, there was a... A 2014 uh, study by Bitcoin itself. Actually, they made the they created the Bitcoin distribution chart to find out where all these bitcoins are going mm-hmm. in general, where they're hanging out. Yeah. yeah. So they they found that about uh, uh, out of all the the addresses associated with owning a bitcoin, only 250 thousand owned more than one. So. And also those addresses don't necessarily translate to a single person. But let's say let's say just for the sake of argument, uh-huh. these are these individual ind- humans. Exactly. Two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. human beings. That means two hundred and fifty thousand people out of everyone on earth for this global currency owns more than one Bitcoin. And that that's like 
the overwhelming percentage of Bitcoins that are already in circulation, mm-hmm. which means that people are not spending these Bitcoins. They are hoarding the Bitcoins. Yeah, they're, they're, they're mining them and keeping them. Yeah, because their value goes up so high, it would be, it, again, it seems weird to spend something like that. It, you yeah. might think, no, this is security here. Yeah. I've got this huge amount of, of existing value that I could trade in for other currencies at any time. Yeah, and, and then it be rich. might go back up to a thousand bucks a Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, and in which case I would feel stupid for cashing out before it got uh-huh. really big, right? Yeah. And uh, keep in mind, again, these people are are folks who are using lots and lots of computer power to get at these. One of the interesting things about Bitcoin is the mining process gets more complicated the more computer power is dedicated to mining. So that means that if you want to be effective at mining, you have to leverage larger and larger systems of computers or faster and faster computers, which then narrows down the number of people who can actually do this effectively. Mm-hmm. Like you in your basement with your old, you know, IBM 286, you're not going to compete with yeah, the folks yeah. who are doing this. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just not going to happen. That kind of brings up another another issue with Bitcoins is that not everybody is going to be excited about using them. but. Right. There are other reasons why some people might not be excited about using them. Yeah. Uh, so volatility being one big challenge. The other one being that Bitcoin has had no shortage of scandals associated with it. And in some cases, it has nothing to do with the currency itself. The currency sure. is just involved. <laughs> Yeah. Right. The, the currency was there. It's like if you watch Scarface, you can't blame the huge piles of money for the behavior of the characters in Scarface. It's the character's desire for the huge piles of money <laughs> that cause all the problems. Yes. Uh, oh, Scarface. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, so Bitcoin has always had kind of a seedy reputation, largely because a lot of the people who are attracted to this non-state-sponsored currency happen to be involved in things that states are generally they, – they don't – they aren't in favor of them. Uh, sure. Well, you know, s- some people just really want privacy. And that's mm-hmm. understandable, too. Sure, yeah. But some people specifically want privacy because they're going to do illegal stuff. Right, exactly. There are people who, just like we would argue with things like like uh, peer-to-peer sharing, there's nothing inherently wrong with peer-to-peer sharing. It's a great means oh, of yeah. distributing uh, large files, right? You mm-hmm. Distributing large files. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, distributing large files. Nothing wrong with that. It's the problem that some people use it to pirate stuff and share pirated material that give it a bad name, so as it is with Bitcoin, in that there are some very well-publicized incidents of people using Bitcoin as the currency of choice on things like the Silk Road, right, right. which was the illegal black market that dealt in lots of stuff. Some stuff that was just completely benign, you know, there was nothing wrong with it, but there was a significant number of illegal goods on sale on the Silk Road, whether they'd be weapons or mostly drugs, mm-hmm. but other stuff too. And Bitcoin was one of those things that a lot of people liked because it wasn't something that was easily – despite the fact that it's a public record of the transaction, it's not traceable right? in the right. classic sense. Yeah. So that's definitely part of it was that it has this bad reputation because of the association with the way Bitcoins have been used. But you can't really blame that on the currency. Right. Uh, sure, sure. Another thing that you can't really blame directly on the currency is the behavior of some of its exchanges. Yes, this is a huge issue. So 
the neat thing about bitcoins is that on the individual level, on the individual coin level, they're pretty secure yeah. because they have this record behind them. And it's not the currency that's at fault when things like the Mt. Gox scandal happen. Uh, just as, just as again, you would not blame a dollar for getting stolen out of a bank. You can't blame a Bitcoin for being stolen out of Mt. Gox. But what you can say is what the heck happened and what we can tell you is we don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. Still, at Yay. least at least nobody nobody who is curious about it knows. The people who perpetrated it probably do. <laughs> oh, it's likely. Uh, they, I mean, unless they had a very strange weekend. Yes, uh, no, this... be, what did I do last <laughs> week? Why did I get six hundred fifty thousand bitcoins in my account? Uh, yeah. So so in twenty fourteen, this this giant exchange for bitcoins. Uh, in which it's sort of like a, a little bit like a bank. Yeah, kind of. It, it, it It's like a, you know, it, essentially it's meant to help exchange Bitcoins for other currencies. So if you wanted to come in and buy a bunch of Bitcoins, they would sell them to you. Or if you had a bunch of Bitcoins, you wanted to exchange it for some other currency, they would mm-hmm. then exchange it for you. And then, you know, of course, they take some percentage of that transaction for themselves. Uh, sure, sure. But rather than having to purely mine your own Bitcoin, right. as your ancestors would have done. Yeah, yeah. maybe it may be that the Bitcoin value, you, you suspect that it's going to escalate and you think, well, the way I'm going to make my money is by investing in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. wait for that value to go high and then I'll cash out. Uh, but but so in 2014, it had like 850,000 Bitcoins stolen yeah, from they, this one exchange, Mt. Gox. They, they, they disappeared. And uh, there's some suggestions that I've seen that at least some, some of it was due to bot activity, bots that were uh, buying up. Bitcoins during certain hours of the day, early trading hours in in uh, Japan, because this all took place in Japan, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so at early trading hours, uh, bots were buying up bitcoins using fake money. They were creating mm. they were creating uh, profiles that had huge bank accounts, fake bank bank accounts associated with them. Were purchasing bitcoins with fake money, and then uh, sort of disappearing after a while. But that has not really led investigators to any pathways to figuring out who actually was behind this. It might have been a group of hackers. It could have been a single person. No one could have been someone on the inside of Mount Gox. No one's really sure. Um, so 850,000 bitcoins missing. That's about $450 million at that time mm-hmm. during the, you know, when they were valued at 2014. And some of them were recovered, but about 650,000 still have not been. They're yeah. just still lost. They're gone. They, yeah. yeah. Add 650,000 out of that 21 million are, are in, they, we don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in September 2015, Japanese prosecutors in Tokyo filed criminal charges against Mark Carpel, who is the former CEO of Mt. Gox. Uh, the charge was that Carpel embezzled more than $50 million of his clients' money. But here's the weird thing. That has nothing to do with the missing Bitcoins. Totally separate. It's a separate thing. Now, there are some who wonder if the authorities are trying to find out if Carpel had any – if he was complicit in the missing Bitcoins. Sure. Uh, But so far, they have not leveled any specific charges related to that. Um, And and here's the thing is Mt. Gox is not the only exchange that has created a scandal. There was another one called MyCoin in Hong Kong. It didn't last very long. Um, (laughs) So MyCoin uh, closed business 
uh, with about $386 million worth of investments unaccounted for. So nearly $400 million lost there. And there were accusations that the exchange was really just a Ponzi scheme. It was a pyramid scheme, specifically a Ponzi scheme. Uh, you can learn all about Ponzi schemes, by the way, if you listen to Stuff You Should Know, uh, which is one of our sister podcasts. Mm-hmm. And they did a great episode. That's the one that for about two or three weeks had Chuck walking around the office going, it's a Ponzi. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that was, that was, those were good times. So five people, uh, involved with my coin were actually arrested by Hong Kong police and the charge was conspiracy to defraud. Now, again, that had nothing to do with the actual currency of Bitcoin, but once again, there was a scandal associated with Bitcoin and which, but, which damages the, the concept of the currency overall. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because we've established that it's all psychological, if we, if yeah. we lose confidence in the currency, whether due to the fall of the currency itself or not, it loses value. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to associate yourself, yourself with something that a lot of criminals are Preying on. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't help your case much. Yeah. Uh, so there have been other dodgy operations that also have le- tried to leverage Bitcoin. Uh, one was called Neo and B, which launched out of Cyprus in February 2014 and closed out of Cyprus in March 2014. So, <laughs> so essentially a little more than a month in operation uh-huh. and they closed. Uh, and then the Cyprian government uh, issued arrest warrants for the CEO. And like the MyCoin scandal, this one also had very little to do with Bitcoin and more due to suspicious behavior. In fact, with both uh, MyCoin and with uh, Neo and B, there were accusations that at no time did either exchange ever actually have possession of Bitcoins, that they were taking people's wow. money and yeah. saying they had Bitcoins, yeah. but didn't. So – yeah, not not great. It, obviously, that hurts confidence in the currency, not again, not because of the currency, but because if you as an investor or someone who wishes to get some bitcoins to use them as a currency, mm-hmm. if you don't have confidence in the people who can exchange your money for bitcoins, that hurts the currency, too. Of course. Uh, there's also kind of just a basic problem with the technology involved in bitcoin to begin with. Yeah, and this one is really what prompted us to talk about this this particular subject. Mm-hmm. And it's that uh it's interesting that Bitcoin may have a problem about with success. Not not that Bitcoin would have a problem with its, you know, uh the way that you mine them necessarily or how many however many bitcoins eventually end up in circulation. Uh sure, the, the system is working fine. As it is right this very moment, but it's completely unscalable. Yeah. And that's the problem is that if it were to get successful, it would fail because it could not meet the demand that a a global successful payment structure requires. So specifically, uh, we're talking about a piece that appeared in MIT's Technology Review. Uh, Tom Simonite uh, in, interviewed Gavin Andreessen. Uh, Andreessen served as the chief caretaker of Bitcoin from 2010 until 2014. He's still very much heavily involved in it. Uh, he's been a part of Bitcoin pretty much since the very beginning, uh, being the person that Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, trusted to keep things going. And, and here's where we have note. a little side note. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is not necessarily a real person. Um, well, I mean. A person or persons certainly wrote the code for Bitcoin and distributed it to the world. Yes. But we don't know who or whom 
No, that's the wrong grammar. We don't know who or who extra people that yeah. could be. Yeah, we don't have a word in English to say who single person and who whole bunch of people. Yeah. And yeah, we don't know. There there was an interesting report, and I'm sure, Lauren, you remember that a couple years ago, there was a report of a journalist who had tracked down a person who has the name, at least the middle name of Satoshi and the last mm-hmm. name of Nakamoto, and had tracked this person down to find out if, in fact, he was the guy behind it. And he protested and said, no, I'm I'm not. He he was he was uh, almost leaving living kind of a hermetic lifestyle, mm-hmm. and that made people think, "Oh, this this has to be the guy." It, it, really is, it doesn't look like that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of attention on him for a while about this. So, uh, yeah, we don't know who the actual creator of Bitcoin is, like the the true identity, whether it's someone with that name or or a group of people who assume that name as the way of publishing this. At any rate, let's get to the limitation. It really centers on the number of transactions that can take place within a given amount of time. So right. if you're looking at established transaction systems like uh, Visa or PayPal, anything that's meant to handle lots and lots of transactions around the world, most of them can handle tens of thousands of transactions. How many can Bitcoin handle per second? Seven. Seven thousand? Seven. Seven hundred? Seven. Seven transactions. Now, seven, doing something seven times in a second sounds fast. Oh, sure. Until you think of a global currency. <laughs> right, right. When, you know, hypothetically, more than seven people are going to be wanting to to, to do a thing. Yeah. Like yeah. literally anything at a, at a given point in time. You've got seven billion people uh, on the planet. So let's say that Bitcoin actually succeeded in becoming... A true cryptocurrency. I mean, it's actually used to buy and sell stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not being hoarded. It's being shared by a larger population than 250,000 people. Mm-hmm. This seems like, it seems like a deal breaker, right? Uh, yeah. And the re- the reason behind this is, okay, if you remember that, that public transaction chain that we were talking about, mm-hmm. the, the matter of public record, uh, and how people mine bitcoins, earn bitcoins by helping run bitcoin software. Mm-hmm. So the network can't handle more than those seven transactions a second because of the purposeful complexity involved in this system. Okay. So every time a transaction is made, the, the network of bitcoins users computers is is basically solving a cryptographic puzzle in order to update this public log and confirm the transaction mm-hmm. and it can't get faster without intrinsically changing this this computing system in some way mm-hmm. and and realistically you know you, you say uh, oh there you can have seven transactions a second and that sounds pretty fast but it can lead to any given transaction taking like minutes or hours to be uh completed to to be confirmed. Right. So imagine that you're trying to use Bitcoin to purchase something. It could delay that purchase by a matter of hours, which backs backs everything else up in the chain, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it really creates a a huge problem. And it's not what shoppers are excited about. Yeah. It means that you would be less likely to try and spend your Bitcoins because it's such a hassle to do Mm -hmm. it. And then you're you're actually reinforcing that hoarding behavior. Mm -hmm. So again, the Bitcoins are not acting as a currency. They're acting as a commodity. And then beyond that, uh, there's also... An issue that Andreessen said that, you know, you could maybe help fix this problem by building out uh, greater network capability, but that would increase transaction fees because you'd right. have to pay for that 
that upgrade, right? So transaction fees go up. That means you're spending more money on top of whatever the price is in order for you to actually get that transaction to happen. Anyone who has ever bought tickets from a certain really well-known ticket broker has had the experience of convenience fees, which... It rhymes with ticket plaster. Yeah. I once did not buy tickets through this particular ticket broker because the convenience fee was 50% of the ticket price on yeah. top of the ticket price. Yeah. I, I have experienced that thing, that, that same feeling as well. Yeah. And, and so this could be the problem with Bitcoin for all transactions. Mm-hmm. And that would be a huge blow. And again, would reinforce the idea of this is something I keep, not something I spend. And that, that is antithetical to the concept of a currency. I know we're beating a dead horse, but this is why we're having right, this discussion. Right, yeah. So Andreessen has said that he would go so far as he's actually done this already. It's not that he's talking about it. He's done it. He's proposed a new version of Bitcoin that would actually address this transaction limitation problem. And uh, and so he first released the, co- the, the code for the old Bitcoin code to sh- say, here's exactly where the issue is. Mm-hmm. This is what is holding us back. And I want to release this and, and point it out so that people are aware of the extent of the problem and understand that if they value Bitcoin as a currency, this is something that we must address. Mm-hmm. And so he's proposed a new currency called Bitcoin XT, which would recognize all existing Bitcoins – up to the point of activation of Bitcoin XT, but at that point forward, any other mined Bitcoins under the old system would be invalid. So all 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 Bitcoins up to that point would be fine. They could transfer over. Uh, yeah, yeah. But anything mined under the old software after the new software activates would or, or like might not be uh, recognized by major exchanges and yeah. retailers. It, and it. Technically, like in a really weird world, maybe both could be uh, recognized by some, right? Or or some exchanges might recognize one but not the other. It would be almost as if we had two different kinds of dollars in the United States. Right. And some stores said, oh, no, we don't take the old dollars. We only take the new dollars. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, it's such a large – I mean relatively small compared to the 7 billion people in the world. But it's such a relatively large network of of people who are using it. And the very nature of Bitcoin is partially that it doesn't have a leader. You know, it doesn't have a president. It doesn't have someone who makes the decisions for it. And that's kind of the point. Yeah, it's decentralized for a reason. Uh, right, right. And so that's really cool. But, you know, it, it also means that that all even someone as as influential and authoritative within the community as Anderson, all he can do is say, like, all right, well, I wrote this code that fixes this problem. I I, I released it. it. It was out there in August of 2015. Mm-hmm. And. And that's all he can do, yeah. you know. And so, so if fifty percent of Bitcoin's miners switch over to using the new software, then the software will start. Then, then Bitcoin's software will start sending out kind of like the tide is turning, kids messages to the ones who are still using the old stuff. Yeah. And then, if seventy-five percent of Bitcoin's miners switch to using the new software, you know, thereby implicitly approving of of this fix of Anderson's, mm-hmm. then the whole system will will be forced. Into the new software. Right. And so if that happens, there's going to be a two week grace period during which anyone using the old system will be told, like, like, get out of the water, kids. And then after that, this plan will go into effect where any 
new Bitcoin's mind using the old software won't be have the, have the danger of not being recognized. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is wacky. We're getting into technology, psychology, economics. And uh, when these things all combine, they make a mess. But that's that that was as Andreessen says, that's on purpose. It's yeah. messy on purpose. It's meant to be something that no one entity can come in and completely change right. and everyone else is, is victim to it. Yeah. So that's the other side of this decentralized approach is that, yeah, it's messy, but also you don't have to worry about a government making a decision that is completely separate from your life and yet affects you uh, and your money. Right, right. It's it's literally being decided by the actions of the people. Yeah. And so and, you know, whether or not that plays out the way Anderson hopes is is up to the future. You know, we, we won't know about it in, for probably another few months. Yeah, we'll definitely need to see, again, some shifts in the behavior of the people who are mining these bitcoins to see them actually using them more frequently as a currency for that volatility to start to stabilize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. You know, if, if that never happens, then it may be that Bitcoin just becomes this oddity, this, this thing that doesn't really exist, not in the same way that tables and chairs and gold bars exist. Uh, but yet or still. Or even computer programs exist because, yeah. you know. Yeah. They're but, technically collections of electrons that move in certain ways, but. Yeah. Uh, it's, yet we will, we, we say that they have some sort of value mm-hmm. because people believe they have value. Uh, again, not that much different from saying a piece of paper has a certain value because of the numbers and pictures printed on it. But it's it's one of those leaps we have to make in order to understand the behaviors of people and of economics in general. Uh, personally, I think that uh, it's going to take something way bigger than Bitcoin XT for this to actually become a currency. I don't know that it's going to go away anytime soon unless people finally just get tired of playing the game of I can't actually use this to buy anything. I can only use it to to I can only trade it for other currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may just be one of those things that people say, all right, I'm going to put my money into Bitcoin to hold it until the value of Bitcoin is high enough where I'm going to make a profit. And uh, and and. Maybe that only lasts for so long before people just say, I'm not willing to buy it anymore. Uh, sure. Or before some other way of of, of getting around the, the normal restrictions and, and regulations of currencies right. comes about. Yeah. Uh, we can always hope for that post-scarcity environment where we no longer have to pay money for anything anyway because everything is free. Uh, as long as we don't all have to wear jumpsuits, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, I do not look good. In Nobody one. looks good in a jumpsuit. Yeah, it's hard to do. So yeah, I'm I'm on board with you there, Lauren. All right, so this was fun. It was interesting to actually take a, a closer, more focused look at Bitcoin in particular. And I'm curious to hear what our listeners think. I'm sure some of you have had experience. Yeah. In fact, do you guys pe- use it? I know there are people in this office who have done it. They're in the video department. Yeah, they're I, exactly I was, they're exactly the ones who are behind us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like turned as though I could look through the wall and see them. I was yeah. like Matt Frederick. How did you guess? You are absolutely <laughs> correct with that. So, guys, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, we're really curious if you've had experience with Bitcoin or if you've or any other cryptocurrency. I yeah, mean, like we said, Bitcoin's just one. Mm-hmm. It's just the one that everyone has heard about. So let us know what you think. And also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, let us know that too. Our email address is fwthinking at 
HowStuffWorks.com, or you can always drop us a line on Twitter or Google Plus or Facebook. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are FW Thinking. Just search FW Thinking on Facebook. Our profile should pop right up. You can go in there, leave us a message, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.